All righty, moving right along. You know what? Let's pray this morning. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for, for bringing us together this morning, and thank you for um, the ability that you give us to have your words in our hands. And now I pray this morning that, um, that your words be spoken, your truths be told, your message be understood, help us to apply your truths and your words to our lives so that when we walk out the door, we can be your people, the people you want us to be, designed us to be, to be a part of your kingdom, to be your kingdom workers. So I pray, Lord, that you use this time together to build us up so that we can go out and carry out your will. In Jesus' name we pray. And now grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, I want you to just, for fun, think back to your high school days for a moment um, if you're in high school right now, maybe you can relate to this better than we can. And if you're not yet in high school, pay attention because this might come in handy later on. So now the following are clever answers to some questions on some high school tests and exams. Now, do you remember what you would do when you looked at a test exam question and you didn't know what the answer was? Sometimes you leave it blank. Sometimes you just take a really good guess, and sometimes you get, try to get creative with the answers. So here are some actual answers given by high school students to real test questions, and I want you to notice how creative they got with their answers. Question number one, briefly explain what hard water is. The answer, of course, is ice. Ice is hard water, right? Question number two. This one's really obvious. What ended in 1896? Those of you who know anything about history know what happened, what ended in 1896. What ended there? Of course, the answer is 1895 ended in 1896. There it is. All right. Name the four seasons. Now, in Wisconsin, we say almost winter, winter, still winter, spring, right? But in the, this four seasons, these guys must be from the south because they said this, salt, pepper, <laughs> mustard, and vinegar are the seasonings, right? Here's a Wisconsin question for you, though. How can you delay milk from turning sour? Keep it in the cow, right? Don't milk the cow, and it's not going to go sour. See, where are we? Oh, this one's one of my favorite. What is the fibula? The fibula, of course, is a very small lie, a fibula, right? This is one that I might have actually answered myself on this one. What is a seizure? And that, of course, is a Roman emperor, Caesar, seizure, it's so close. And what does the word benign mean? Okay, this is those sentences. Benign is what you will be after you be eight. You know, benign, right? Multiple answers on this last one. What are the main parts of the body? Or I'm sorry, how are the main parts of the body categorized? Um, a, the body consists of three parts. The brainium, the borax, and the abdominal cavity. By the way, if you're not already in high school, don't pay any attention to this answer, right? The brainium consists of the brain. The borax contains the heart and lungs. The abdominal cavity contains the five bowels. A, E, I, O, and U, and sometimes Y. All right. So my point is here is that sometimes people, when they don't know the answer, right, they get creative with the answer. Some students have even said that the more impressive the answer, the more likely others are to believe that they actually know what they're talking about. One of my older sisters used to pull that on me all the time, but that's a whole other story, right? So back to the point. If we don't know the answer, we get creative with our answers, right? And I'm going to be completely honest with you. Sometimes the answers that people come up with um, answers to questions about God, 
um, answers to questions about the Bible uh, or what have you. Some of those answers and responses that are very creative sort of make me cringe a little bit and sometimes make me cringe a lot. And so with that as our backdrop this morning, I'd like to point out and, and remind you that this has been the idea behind the several sermon series that we've had. Um, and it's led us to this current series we have now during Epiphany, and that, of course, has to do with, with the will of God. Right? So um, some of the series we had before this, so we talked about the names of God, so we can identify who God is, so we don't have to guess about, we don't have to have a creative answer about who God is. We also talked about our identity in Christ, so we don't have to have a creative answer about who God says we are. Right? And then we talked about the kingdom of God, so we don't have to have a creative answer when it comes to asking questions or answering questions about the kingdom of God. And so we're doing this series right now about the will of God so that we don't have to have some kind of creative answer when somebody asks us or when we ourselves wonder what the will of God is. Right? We're not, so I'm convinced um, that this is one area, the will of God is one of the areas of our relationship with God that is, that is drastically misunderstood. Drastically misunderstood. And, and when we're asked questions about the will of God, or worse, we're, if, we're conf uh, if we're confronted with a tragedy or a disaster in our lives, or in the life of someone close to us, we'll get very creative with the answers to the question is, um, the question, what is the will of God and how does it play out in our lives? We'll get very creative with that answer, what is the will of God? Because one of the most, uh, one of the creative answers that one might hear or offer up when it comes to, when it comes to the question, what is the will of God? Um, we'll, we'll hear this. Now, I'm, I'm going to put this on the board. I usually only put truths on the board, but I'm going to put uh, another creative answer on the board when we're asked about what it, questions about the will of God, because this is what we'll hear. We'll hear this, it's impossible to know the will of God. That's a creative answer when we're talking about the will of God. Now I put that answer up there with um, what is a seizure and that's not a Roman emperor, right? That's not Caesar. It's a creative answer because we don't know the answer. So when we don't know the answer about the will of God, we'll get, try to get creative with it and say, oh, you, you, can't, you can't know the will of God. It's impossible to know the will of God. And I want to take that down now because that is 100% false. So we're told the will of God is impossible and to, to discern, and only God knows his will. And the rest of us are supposed to pray for it, right? Whatever that is, thy will be done, whatever that will is. And I don't need to tell you, I guess at this point, you probably figured out that that never sat well with me. I mean, it just never, I never accepted that answer. It just didn't make any sense because God tells us his will in his word. I mean, if Jesus commands us to pray that God's will be done, he wouldn't keep that a secret, right? On the other hand, I want you to think about this. I want to put some bright light in this room now. What if every believer could know without a doubt what the will of God is? What if every believer could know without a doubt what the will of God is? That would be the game changer of all time. Knowledge like that should change the will of God, knowing what the will of God is. Knowledge like that should change our prayers, should change our lives, should change our worldview. So let me ask you this. If you knew for sure what the will of God was, would you, would you live differently? If you knew for sure what the will of God was, would you live differently? That's a challenge. The will of God is a topic most believers think about at some point in their life. But at the same time, it might also be a topic, again, that's the least understood by us. And like other moments in our lives, when we don't know the answer, we'll get creative with the answer when we're talking about the will of God. 
And remember, the more you know, outlandish it is, the more creative, the more likely we are to believe it or to know that you, you think you know what you're talking about. Because we may have even said at some point sentences like this, oh, it's all part of God's will. Right? So the idea of God's will gets trivialized. It gets reduced down, uh, applied to silly matters like your political candidate. Silly matters like, oh, a Christian quarterback winning the Super Bowl, that must have been God's will. The will of God is also used to rationalize why a tragic event occurred. The question is, why do we do that? And the answer is because we don't know what the will of God is, so we'll get creative and clever with our answers. And the easiest thing to do, right, the easiest thing to do, the simplest thing to do is just declare that everything is God's will. And we say other sentences, blanket answers, blanket sentences, like we'll say something like, if it's God's will, then it'll happen. Or the opposite. Well, I guess that wasn't God's will. See also, if it's God's will, then you can't do anything to mess it up. Or if it's God's will, then it'll succeed. Those and others come out of our mouths without a second thought. They sound great and they, they feel true, creative. And, and I understand, I realize that these kinds of statements seem to, uh, or are meant to anyway, inspire our faith um, to provide comfort. But the reality is this. Statements like that are not true and not backed up by scripture. I know that's a bold statement and I'm going to back it up. By saying this, that things happen in this world that are outside of God's will. Things happen in this world that are outside of God's will. You don't believe me, right? We do things outside of God's will. So in order to understand complex, delicate topics, it's easier to understand if you bring it to the extreme. For example, I say things in, happen in this world that are outside of God's will. And I would say, is that true or false? And we'd all want to say, oh, that's, that can't be true, right? Well, let me ask you this. Is it, God, is it God's will for us to have a sin-filled life? Is that God's will for us? Now, let me ask you this. Is there sin in your life? And now let me ask you this. Are there things that happen in this world that are outside of God's will? Right? It's a pretty easy dot-to-dot -dot that we're going here. Okay, I'm just laying more groundwork here. We're in a five-part series. We're in week three of five. But if we don't understand what I just told you, the rest of it isn't going to make any sense, and we're not going to have the desire to go forward and actually learn what God's will is and stop coming up with these creative, clever answers that just roll off our tongues as if it's something that comes out of here. Now, all of them that I read to you or this said to you earlier do not come from here. My dad used to say we always shoot from the hip, you know. Problem is we don't know what we don't know. So my response to all those theological quandaries that we're talking about right now, my answer to that is always this, but this is what we do know. We don't know what we don't know, but this is what we do know. We don't have every answer to every question that will ever come up, 
I'm the first to admit that. We don't have every answer to every question that will ever come up. But we do know some things. I'd say we know a lot, but again, uh, we don't know what we don't know. Right? But as Luther puts it, and everything I just talked about comes from Luther's basic, um, the, the bondage of the will. And he says this in there, he says, he says, it's our responsibility to know what God teaches us. Let that sink in for a second. It's our responsibility to know what God teaches us. Nod your heads. It's our responsibility to know what God teaches us. So this morning we're going to dig into one of the aspects of God's will that we do know. One of the aspects of God's will that we do know, and there are several, and we've been talking about them all, all along here. Right? Again, this is one of those big churchy words that we'd get clever about defining if somebody on the street asked us to define it, and he's saying, I've heard that word before somewhere, and it must be something about this, right? The word that we're about to explore also helps us understand our purpose. Our purpose for, for living for God the, God, the the purpose that God puts us on this earth for. So I want to get to some verses here. I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It couldn't say it any simpler than this. For this is the will of God. Your, what is that word? Oh, you're getting close. So this is the will of God. Your, yeah. Another word that's vitally important to understanding the will of God. This is the NASB 95 version. This is the most literal translation that we have. This isn't mixing words. This isn't adding words. This isn't putting anything else. This is what God says. This is what Paul says. This is the will of God. Anytime we see a sentence like that, we should actually pay attention to it. So that we don't have to have creative answers to it. We can actually say what God's will is. You know, last week we talked about what God's will isn't, right? This week we're talking a little bit more about what God's will is. But the meaning of this word kind of gets brushed aside. Have you ever read that verse? Have you ever stopped and thought, whoa, I just read part of God's will in my life. But somehow it's not part of our personal working definition of the will of God. Again, if I handed out a three-by-five card to everybody and say, write down the will of God, you'd say, well, to pray, to go to church, and be nice, and... What is actually the will of God? Somehow that's not part of our working definition. Sanctification, though, is one of the most important biblical words, and yet we don't hear much about it or spend any significant time discussing it. And yet we'd better understand it, or we're going to find ourselves outside the will of God. If we don't understand that, we're going to find ourselves outside the will of God. Let's begin by defining the term. In its literal sense, it means to be set apart. Um, it's basically the word hagios in, in Greek, which means holy. Right? When God saves someone, he sets that person aside for a purpose, for his purposes. To be holy, to be godly. To live outwardly what we believe inwardly. Right? We see this this form of the word come up a couple of times. This is when Jesus said, um, the disciples said, how are we supposed to pray? He said, then pray in this way. Hallowed be your name. That's sanctification. That's the same word of hagios. To be holy, godly, live out. That's why these messages are so important for the church 
in every one of us who claims to be a follower of Christ. But sanctification also has the implication that it's a work in progress. And the goal of that work in progress of God is bringing his people closer to him. Helping us to become more like the people he designed us to be. Don't I pray that almost every Sunday when I'm standing here? Why do I do that? Because that's God's will. Not because it's some kind of fancy term or some kind of fancy word. No, because that's what God wants from us. He starts it with salvation. Sanctification is the process of getting closer. So Philippians 1.6 says this. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm confident of this. Paul was writing this letter from prison. There was a lot of things in his life that he was not confident about, that he was unsure about. But he's confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. Right? Writing from prison, Paul didn't know what was going on. He was unsure about a lot of things. Maybe some of you are unsure about some of the things in your life. Paul was unsure he would ever get out of prison. Paul was unsure that he would ever be in another church or be able to deliver another message. But he was sure about the work of God in his life and his salvation. The work that God begins in us is the work of salvation. That's why we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. This is where it all begins, your relationship with God. That's where your relationship with God begins, at your salvation. And Paul was 100% sure that it was a work God started in him and a work that God was going to continue to do. Along those lines, we need to keep in mind that God is living in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's why I did this candle back here this morning, that God lives us in the form of the Holy Spirit to equip us, to power us, working on us. And as Luther would say, most importantly, working in us. But make no mistake about it, it's God doing the work here, being confident of this, he who began. I want to look at began. That's the Greek word. Um, you got to kind of hawk a little bit this one, enachayam. Try it, try enachayam. In knock I am and knock I am. Try not to spit on that person in front of you, right? The word is actually a compound word. We only see it twice in the New Testament. Both times it's talking about salvation. See, see also Galatians 3:3. 3, 3. But it's always talking about salvation. It's always talking about the, the work that God does. It means um, literally. It's a compound word and it has a preposition in it. It means to begin in. Right? To begin in a good work in you. And it's meant, um, it's, it's the chief, it's the leader, it's the first in charge that's doing it. Greek scholars, it's in the middle voice, so it's something that's being done to us that we partake in. It's kind of crazy. Only used twice in the New Testament. Again, both times refers to God's salvation. Now, when it comes to the will of God, one of our main problems is that we stay focused on what we want God to do for us. 
Right? When we talk about the will of God, we stay focused on what we want God to do for us. But God is focused on what he wants to do in us. We want to know what God's going to do for us. God wants to talk about what he wants to do in us. I remember one of my mentors back in the day, you know, room full of uh, pastor wannabes in the making, um, he said, remember that God is far more interested in building you than he is in building a church. I want you to think about that for a second. God is far more interested, this pastor was telling us, he's far more interested in building you than he is in building a church. And in the same way, God is far more interested in growing you than he is in growing your business or your finances or your house. He's interested in you. So the work of God at the time of salvation also starts uh, the work of sanctification. Right? The work that God starts at the time of our salvation also starts his work in our sanctification. You are saved by God, amen? So when it comes down to the question of God's will in your life, when it comes down to the question of God's will in your life, know for certain that when God begins his work of salvation in us, he expects us to be a part of that work of sanctification. That sanctification with him. To be the people he wants us to be. To be the people that he created us to be. How do we do that? We can't do it without this. We can't do it with creative answers. We can't do it with clever responses. We do it with his truth. He expects that work from us. The moment God begins his work in you, he gives you the full-time job of working outwardly what he works in you. Gives us a full-time job of working outwardly what he has worked in you. That outward human expression of that inward divine presence. Sorry, I'm going to do that again. Outward divine expression, human expression of that divine presence in us. And it's something that we do 24-7. It's something we do not ever retire from. So enough with the clever responses, enough with the clever answers. Enough with saying, you know, hard water is ice. That's eh, cute, but you know, it's not going to get us anywhere here. Know the will of God in your life. We're going to identify more verses just like the one we looked at. For this is the will of God. And then we're going to fill in the blanks that God tells us. And it's our responsibility to know those, to share those, to live those. I'm going back to our credibility statement for this entire series. It comes from Ephesians 5.17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Amen? Okay, let's stand. And let's continue to worship.